I can I have more control over my destiny than most other people around. That was the most attractive part of it to me. Hey y'all and welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story and it's the stories that connect us all. I'm Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content, husband of Brooke and father of five young people. And I'm joined today by my lovely co-host who happens to be my wife as well. Hey guys, I'm Brooke, owner of Reclaim the Home, Justin's wife and mother of five. We're so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. Hey guys, today's story is a first for us. We're joined today by a man with huge influence on the future of companies, um, especially here in KC. A self-proclaimed former entrepreneur, which I love, who has turned to, as he says on his LinkedIn profile, the dark side. So we're going to hear all about that. Um, the dark side meaning venture capital. So uh, Jeff is a recovering attorney, self-proclaimed, a volunteer DJ, which I can't wait to hear about, a struggling musician, a proud husband and a father, and a forever Jayhawk. And we will not hold that against him as fellow Mizzou folk here. Um, but we're <laughs> super pumped. Uh, welcome to the show, Jeff Stowell. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me, Justin. I appreciate it. And now that the border war has been reignited, we can get this whole Jayhawk Tiger thing going again. Amen, dude. I can't wait. It, it, it took long enough. It did. Well, man, we're super glad you're here. Um, we can't wait to unpack your story. But first, for those of you, including myself, which again, this is a first for us because this is our first conversation. We have some mutual connections, which we'll we'll kind of unpack. But um, th- this is a this is a fascinating story for me to to uncover too, because it's like, man, I don't even know a story. So let's go, man. Like, what? Um, give us a quick intro. Tell our listeners who you are, what your story is, and and what 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 you know. What does life look like for you today? Sure. I, I grew up in a small town uh, in sort of south central Kansas uh, called Augusta, Kansas, which is, is just outside of Wichita. And, and you know, Augusta, um, you know, even though it's maybe a little closer to Wichita than most, is you know, very much like every other small town in, in the Midwest. It's kind of your, your run-the-mill place. Um, ended up at the, at the University of Kansas, uh, for undergrad. I went ahead and stuck around there and I went to law school at the University of Kansas as well. Um, started a business, uh, while I was a first year law student, which, uh, while ended up, uh, being great, uh, was not, uh, particularly helpful in terms of my GPA while I was in law school. Uh, <laughs> it turns out running a business and going to law school at the same time is not necessarily a great idea. Uh, and that sort of defined my ability to practice law when I got out of law school. Uh, the good news is I didn't really want to practice law. Uh, but by the time I got out of law school, I had a, a growing business and, and was able to run that for, for 13 or, or 14 years. And, and, uh, you know, sold that. And, and that's when I, I ended up uh, sort of in the venture capital realm. That's awesome, man. It, which you sound like that's super easy. Like, Oh yeah, cool, man. I went to KU and, and did law school and started a business and ran it for 13, 14 years, sold it. And now doing VC, which obviously much more complex and, and complicated and, and your, your path, like all of ours um, probably wasn't straight. Um, so, so, Augusta, Kansas, like wind us to the beginning. Like what were some of the, the lessons learned or um, what was, what was, you know, what, I guess essentially what I'm trying to ask is, Hey, where did you, 
what childhood look like and where'd you kind of get this thirst for entrepreneurship, starting your own thing? Um, what, what'd that look like? Yeah. I mean, I think my childhood, at least for the average sort of, you know, white male Kansan was, was probably pretty average. Uh, you know, I, I did have the good fortune and, and I do, you know, and, and I'll probably use this phrase many times, but there's a lot of luck involved in this stuff. Um, there's a certain amount of working hard and hanging around the hoop. Uh, and that makes uh, those, you know, opportunities when luck does come your way a little more easy, easy to capitalize on. But, you know, I was exposed to a wide variety of things. You know, I, I had the good fortune of living in a community that, that had some pretty great teachers. Um, I was, uh, you know, broadly exposed to music and acting and, and, you know, did the sort of same small town three sport athlete thing that, that a lot of kids do. And, and it was in that way, it was, it was relatively benign. Um, you know, I had also, uh, an interesting dynamic, you know, my, neither one of my parents went to college, uh, but I had some other family members that had gone to college. So not, not a, maybe a true first generation college student, but certainly, uh, was able to have some aspirational things going on around me that made me want to go do some things that maybe some of my peers, uh, were not, uh, as excited about when we were, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. Uh, so, you know, I don't know that there's anything necessarily in my childhood that stood out. The, the one thing uh, is, you know, both of my parents uh, were really hard workers. And, and, and I don't think that that's necessarily unusual. Um, but I, I remember it pretty vividly, right? Um, and, and so, you know, my mom had a couple jobs. Um, my dad uh, was initially in the, in the oil business and then worked at a refinery as a mechanic. Um, you know, for those of us that are old enough to know, oil has a number of booms of busts in its history. And one of those busts was in the early eighties and, and he ended up working, you know, nights for a really long time. So, you know, wow. he was working nights, but also trying to make sure that, that my, my sister and I, you know, he was at our basketball games and all that other kind of stuff. So I, I think that had maybe as much of an impact on me, uh, as anything else, because the standard for every day when you got up was, you were probably going to have to bust your tail pretty hard. That's <laughs> awesome. And, and, and I think that, I think that was probably the most, as I think back on it, it's probably the thing that was the most ingrained in me. Man, that's so good. It, it resonates with me because um, my extended family, my, my dad and, and mom both grew up in central Kansas and, and same deal. It was like, Hey, there's, there's nothing flashy or sexy or, you know, crazy, you know, flashy or whatever. They just, they got up and they went to work and they, they, took care of each other and they have this deep sense of community regardless of um, varying income levels or whatever it might be. And, and, and it's just this fascinating concept of like, Hey, I think everybody should kind of hang out in central Kansas for a while and like learn how to work hard. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's, there's, there's something to that. I, there's something to that. You know, I, I think there are a lot of people um, that work pretty hard. And so I don't know that that, that is necessarily the material fact, but it's uh, it's, as I look back on it, it, it's sort of standard setting. And, and we actually have this we have this phrase in my house, it, it, you know, my wife and my son and I, and, and we have this phrase in our house and we have this whiteboard that's sort of on the wall in the hallway. And, and the phrase is, how do you, how are you going to win your day today? Right. And we, we each sort of determine, you know, what do we got to do today to make sure we won the day uh, in whatever way that, that means. And, and I think it's that kind of standard setting that, that matters. 
uh, and is important, or, or at least that's what stuck with me. So good, man. I love it. So you go to KU, you get your bachelor's, you watch probably a lot of um, KU beatdowns over our Tigers. Which... Went to every single home game for <laughs> nine years in a row. Great. Dang, that's great. That's great. Um, what kind of what was the seed that got planted to to make you start your own thing? Like while you're in law school, and, and then more specifically, like what was that thing? Yeah, so uh, that's it. That's an interesting story because it's a it's a happy accident more than, more than anything else. Um, I, I had done some work as an undergraduate in a great undergraduate research group, and and again, you know, a, a series of sort of lucky occurrences. Um, you know, it was building on a, a major professor's research, and uh, you know, a friend of mine and I had had a chance to work with this professor, and you know, we published a small academic paper that I think nobody read. And, uh, but one one person did and, and ended up, you know, calling that research group and saying, hey, uh, can anybody help us come do some of the stuff that's in this paper? And, and the research group said, yeah, we don't have time. You're clear out in South Carolina, but there's a couple other nerds that might be able to come help you. <laughs> um, and and ultimately that turned into a business. I mean, it was a business that started with a client saying, hey, you seem to know some stuff. Can you come and help us do this? Um, and most businesses don't start that way, right? We, we started right out of the gate with a client. Um, now That's we awesome. were in our, I was in my early twenties. My business partner was in his late twenties. Um, you know, we didn't really know anything at all. Um, and made probably every mistake in the book several times, uh, particularly over those first sort of three or four years that we had a business and we're growing it. But, um, and that business wasn't really ever designed to be sort of one of these things you read about tech crunch, right? It was a, it was a consultancy. It was two men in a truck. It was, you know, go help some people do something better. Um, and over the course of that, the life of that business, we were able to sort of lease and borrow and build and beg for just enough technology to provide a, a little bit extra value in that business that, that made it something that someone thought was worth buying. It, it could scale enough that someone thought it was worth buying. And again, you know, not one of these deals you read about in TechCrunch and, and, you know, not one of these deals that creates sort of massive uh, unparalleled independent wealth for anybody, uh, but a really great outcome uh, for, for everybody at all, uh, everybody involved, both sort of financially and otherwise. So um, that, that was kind of the story of that business. That's awesome, man. Um, if you're cool with it, I'd love to stay there for a second. Like, as you're growing that business, was that was that always the end goal? Did you know what the end goal was? Like, I'm, I'm sure the end goal evolved and changed as you as you went and grew and and hit different bumps. But like, man, we're we're three years not even into our little marketing agency, and, and in many ways, similar concept, right? Like, stumbled into it, happy accident. I love that phrase. Um, had a client, like had had some service offerings that people I was like oh man like they might pay me to like write for them that's cool and and then it's grown and evolved and changed and so um maybe it's a selfish question here but like when in that journey did you kind of start thinking the light bulbs going off of like oh dude like we're on to something I can't tell you I can't tell you that I ever cognizantly you know sort of had that turning point right because the initial goal was I was a you know 22 year old law student. It was like, wow, this is a neat way to pay the bills and not have student loans. And that was, 
that was really all the, that was the goal, right? That's how the business started. I was like, wow, I could actually pay for law school That's without awesome. having to take out student loans. What a ton of fun that would be, right? Um, a couple years in, it became apparent that it was a bigger thing than that. And so the goal shifted, right? And the goal for me, at least, became, hey, cool. I don't have to go practice law. I can have this great job and I can have the title of CEO and I don't have to work for anybody. I can control my own schedule. Like, is that right? That became the goal. And, and that was, you know, the, the really attractive part to me for entrepreneurship has always been about this idea that I can, I have more control over my destiny than most other people around. That was the most attractive part of it to me. And, and so, you know, a couple of years in, the goal shifted to this idea that, uh, oh, cool, I can have sort of more control over my destiny as opposed to being a, you know, junior associate at some giant law firm in downtown Kansas City, uh, which was, you know, sort of the, the sort of the path for a sure. change lawyer or, or even or even, you know, go be the county attorney in Wabunsi County. Right. That's that person actually has a fair amount of control over their destiny. But that wasn't something that I wanted to do. Um and so, the, you know, there's all this that was that was the first goal shift. The, the second goal shift when it became, you know, hey, maybe there's something bigger here, I think really evolved pretty naturally. We, we sort of got into the situation where, I, you know, one day I looked around, you know, there's like eight or nine people working for us and they're spread across the United States. And, and you know, we had a couple of different offices and I'm sort of looking around I was like, when did this happen? I need to start thinking about this and, and being a better caretaker of this than I have been mm-hmm. um, because I, I really hadn't been thinking about those kinds of things. Right. I was like, well, actually there's, there's a bunch of people that, that care about this stuff and, and it matters and it matters to our clients and I've got to be a, a sort of better CEO in that way. And, and, you know, the, the, when the goal shifted, I, I would say in a large way, um, happened when, uh, about nine years into the business, uh, my business partner actually got cancer oh, and, and had to leave the business for almost a year. And, you know, we were, we were a team, we were both necessary for that business to be successful. And it was readily apparent, uh, that I was not equipped to be able to run that. The business was not built such that it could run with just one of us in it. Um, and so that's when we really started thinking about, okay, we've created a fair amount of value here. Is there an ability for us to recognize that value? And, 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 and let's figure out what that means. Uh, and so, you know, honestly, the, the goals shifted over time. Sure. Um, and they involved, you know, and some of them were forced on us and some of them were not. Uh, but that's really the, the trajectory of that business. You know, we weren't venture backed. We didn't raise money. We, we didn't even have any bank loans, right? It was just, it was just, you know, two guys running a business that was growing modestly over the course of nearly a decade. Uh, and, you know, ending up on the backside of that decade with some, some very real challenges, uh, particularly personally and, and just say, all right, we've created some value. How are we going to solve for that? That, that was really the trajectory of that business. Wow, that's cool, man. How's he doing now, or what's what's kind of what's the story? He's doing really well. He actually uh, cancer came and uh, came and went, and and it actually came and went a second time before we even sold the business. And, wow! Uh, but he's been in remission for for many many years now, uh, almost a decade. So, oh man, that's good to hear. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, <clears throat> you know, the the it's interesting, and and again, I don't even 
really know your today reality in, in the VC world. Um, but to hear you talk about growing this company, you're, you've, you've, you've changed from kind of this, uh, you, you didn't say this and I'm not putting words in your mouth, but um, kind of this, not even in a bad way, but like this selfish ambition initial start, right? Of like, dude, I just want to like be my own boss, do my thing, make good money, pay off my school loans, right? Like pretty simple, not a bad, not yep. bad, not bad selfish, but good, like just what it was. And then you, you kind of evolved into this like, oh, dude, like I need to be a steward of these people and of this team. Like were there any kind of, pardon the language, but like, oh, shit moments in, in that journey from – Oh man, there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, look. Of course, there's there are. A, there's a, uh, you know, there's a small chance uh, that I created, you know, committed a couple different financial crimes in order to make <laughs> payroll, right? I, I mean, they were mild financial crimes, and and I seem to have gotten away with them. But you know, just that idea that it's Friday and there are 10 people that work for you, and you have no idea how you're going to get them their paycheck that morning. Mm. That happens all the time yeah. right yep. and i think everybody that starts something has to stare down that beat more than once and and, and there are you know, those beats come in many forms um you know that there was uh you know we were in business uh when 9-11 happened and i was on the road uh on the east coast with one of my employees and i was trying to figure out i was like all right well we got to get people out of here um, and back home and, you know, the, the world was on fire, and, you know, but it was, that was my responsibility. Wow. That's a kind of a one-off event, but, but those kinds of things happen. Right. And you say, well, how much of this is, is my responsibility? How much do I have to own and how much of it do I have to carry uh, though? You know, when it's time to fire an employee or when you have to lay off employees or to, right, that stuff is all, it is incredibly personally challenging right and if it's not you may need to seek some therapy right that stuff is hard Mm. and so all of those challenges are faced by business owners at different times during their life cycle i don't care if you're roofing i don't care if you have one of the hottest tech companies in the world those challenges are yours and you have to own them and that's you know, that, that's sort of the, the dark side maybe of entrepreneurship that people don't talk about, right? All this other stuff we were talking about, you know, like, ah, I control my own destiny and make good money and, you know, I can take off and go to my kid's baseball game and all, all that stuff is real and it has a ton of value, but it comes with a, a nice balancing of that teeter-totter, which is, hey, that client didn't pay on time and you can't make payroll today or, you, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, it happens. And so it's important, at least uh, from my point of view, when you go out to start your own enterprise to understand that there are some really dark days in there and you need to be and and you don't get to do them with help. Right. You have to do them by yourself. That's why you are the person that started the thing. You take responsibility for those things. Uh, You can't, you know you know, commiserate with your office mates over beers at Johnny's afterwards about, well, gee, sorry, I didn't make payroll today, guys. Um, <laughs> right. That's not the way that goes. Man. I, I feel like I'm uh yeah, maybe this is therapy for me because it's like, good night, Jeff. This is, this is where we are. Right. Like I, I mentioned, and you don't know a, a ton about our business either, but nearing kind of the three-year mark, our team's growing, our revenue 
is is kind of growing. Expenses are definitely growing, right? And and I'm yeah. sitting here going, oh, dude, like we're the 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 analogy or the feeling that feels really true for me is like, man, we're I'm walking through this like deep jungle with this big old you know machete going. Hey guys, yep. trust me. I I think it's on. Right. The, I, I'm pretty I, sure this is north. <laughs> I, 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 I'm actually not really that sure, but I think it is, and I want you to think it is too. But I'm going to be honest and tell you, like, right. come on, man, like, let's go, let's keep chopping. And and it, it's yep. interesting. I mean, literally last night, um, it's twelve twenty three a.m. and I text a. I, I walked outside because the anxiety just hit me. And it's like, dude, yeah. I got to walk. Like, I got to move my body and, like, remind myself of what's true and be centered because I'm about to have a manic breakdown. And, and people might look at you it. Are, like, you are not the first person that's <laughs> happened to. Yeah. And, and, and what's interesting. You're probably not even the first person that's happened to this week, and it's only Wednesday. Yeah, man, that's right. And, and what's interesting <laughs> is um, I, I walked around the corner, and I've, we have a good friend who, who also is a client, and his his front lights were on in his his home office and i could see him in there cranking and i'm like hey dude go to sleep and he's like man it, I, I, <laughs> he's like you too and, and it's just this interesting like you, you i'm not suggesting that this is the the real view of entrepreneurs but people see hey you know some 24 year old kid on instagram with with a thousand dollar bills and in front of a lambo like dude you could be this guy right like the 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 projections of entrepreneurship of course, like the upside is great, right? But that, I, I love that you went there, man. Like the dark side of it, people don't talk about at, at least as much as, um, you know, at, at least in some circles. I, I don't think it gets as much attention as it should. Well, and and just to, to add on to that, I, I get asked a lot, right? And and we haven't sort of gotten into the, the sort of what I do now piece yet. But the I get asked a lot whether I would be a CEO again. Uh, or whether I would found something again. Uh, and, you know, I was the CEO of my own business. I served as a as an interim CEO for some other folks' business uh, for a while. And, and the definitive answer to that question is no. Mm -hmm. I would not do that again. I am glad that I did it. I think that I was pretty good at it. I think that there's a lot of data that suggests that that's true. I don't want to do it again. Um, it wasn't. It, it ended up not necessarily being very good for me. Um, it certainly wasn't necessarily very good for my family. It was pretty good for my bank account. Um, but at the end of the day, I was not, I do not have the desire to go and do those things again, sort of full scale. Um, I, I get asked a lot. You're like, oh man, what, you know, now that you're a VC, don't you have this itch to build again? And the answer to that is absolutely not. You guys hack mm -hmm. at it, man. And I'll I'll sit I'll, I'll sit over here and help you as best I can, but I wouldn't touch you with a ten foot pole. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, man. I, and, and whatever you feel comfortable with going to, like, what do you what do you mean that it was tough on your family, or 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 maybe wasn't the most productive for your family? What's well, look, like? man. Anytime you're out there walking around your neighborhood at twelve thirty in the morning because of anxiety, that's not good for anybody. Yeah. Right. That's right. Uh, it's not good. It's not good for you. It's not good for your spouse or your partner. It's not good for your kid. Right. There's none of that. That stuff all trickles down. Right. And you may think any entrepreneur may think, oh, I've got this under control. You, you really don't. Uh, just to be candid, you, you don't. That stuff is having an impact somewhere. And so if your business is running in such a way 
that those things are happening frequently, look, there's no way to get away from them. They're going to happen. But if they're happening frequently, right, that, that's a sort of different set of questions that entrepreneurs need to ask themselves. One of the things that we do that I think is just really disturbing, um, and, and this is why I, I've become, I'm a pretty reluctant venture capitalist at this point. I've been doing this for about eight years, a little more than eight years. And I'm pretty reluctant on venture capital as a, as a financing model. It works sometimes, um, and, and we've been able to, to make it work a number of times. But it's only really built for a particular thing because, mm. you know, venture capital sort of forces really high, almost impossible growth at really high cost. Yeah. Not just financial cost. Um, but there, there is a high financial cost. We put a lot of money on companies' balance sheets that really aren't ready to swallow that amount of money. Um, and then we force them to go and spend it in the name of growth. And that kind of pressure starts to break things. And, and, and it, it's not particularly healthy. And so I, I become, I say I'm reluctant. I become pretty reluctant in that way because, you know, ultimately I think it's actually more, maybe more challenging to build a good company where those moments where you as the CEO are walking around your lawn at 12:30 in the morning, um, those moments become daily as opposed to maybe every six weeks. Mm, <laughs> uh, every six weeks, everybody can probably deal with that, and some of that is good, actually, right? But if you're doing that every day, um, which you know I think a lot of CEOs end up doing, especially venture back CEOs, that's not good. Uh, it's not good at all. So, you know. That, that's the, you know, it's the nature of the game, I suppose. Um, and, and it is one of those costs that come with it. But if, you, if you're paying too many of those costs, uh, I think it's important to sort of rethink, you know, like, hey, why, why am I paying these costs again? Yeah. Does that ability to go to my kid's baseball game actually exist? Or is that just a theoretical thing that I think can happen? Is this a cost worth paying uh, to build this thing I'm trying to build? Yeah, man, so good, so true. And, and, and even, you know, for me personally, it's like, cool, at the baseball game and distracted and thinking and not present, right? Staring at my phone. Staring yeah. at my phone. Yeah, yeah, or stressed about payroll or whatever the thing the thing is. And, yep. um, man, like, how do you how do you work with folks and, and use me, man? Like, how do you work with guys like me, girls like me, um, to find balance, find – wholeness find like health <laughs> like what's what's that look like yeah, I, mean, I mean i'm sure you've seen all sorts of war stories there, there's not a there's not a ton that's specific right there's um how there's not a ton of stuff you can do that's specific to any for this generalized one so it's all sort of it's all sort of specific to the person you're across the table with. Yeah, so yeah. one of the things that we think about as we deploy our venture capitalist dollars, and, and we think a lot about this, is who is this person, this, uh, this person or people that we are investing in? Who is this human being sitting across the table from us? Because things are going to go poorly at some point. It is a guarantee. Mm. There has never been a, you know, easily done glide path startup to an IPO, right? It's never happened. Things are going to go poorly. And it's important for us to understand how that person across the table from us is going to react when things go poorly. So we're trying to set up our ability to help people 
um, to the extent we can. We're, you know, I can't can't do this for you right. as a CEO, but we're trying to set up our teams in advance just by saying, look, who are you and how do you react in these kinds of situations and what can we expect and therefore can we create a relationship with you that even allows us to be helpful? Um, and, and, you know, a lot of times we get that right. Um, well, sometimes we get that wrong, but a lot of times we get that right. And you said, you know, I'm sure you have some horror stories, and I do, um, but I would largely put those horror stories on us, on me, mm. not on any one entrepreneur, right? It, it, we didn't understand well enough how that person or team across the table from us was going to react when the stress got really high um, or when things got really bad. Uh, and so, therefore, we were not able to provide, you know, appropriate assistance. We were not able to offer good advice. We were not able to, um, you know, restructure financing or whatever it is that needs to be done. We weren't able to do those things. Um, so that, that's the sort of dynamic that we try to set up right out of the gate. Um, and, I, you know, I encourage this a lot, with, you know, when people are trying to hire people, I'm like, look, Skills are one thing, although I'm a sort of one of these proponents that, you know, I, I really love people with liberal arts education. I, I want you to have read lots of different books from lots of different points of view and understand how people think about things. I can teach you Excel. I, I, I can teach you <laughs> how to build this, right? I, I can teach you this skill. I don't care who you are. Um, what I'm really more interested in, particularly in, you know, leadership positions and in, even in middle leadership positions, I'm like, I need you to be able to think about problems on your own in unique ways and solve them. That's what I'm hiring for. This other thing, I can teach it to you. Right? Or, or you can Google um, it and get or, an answer or, or in three I, minutes. Or I can, yeah. yeah, or I can find somebody that can teach it to you, right? But if I don't know it myself, but I, I, what I'm really looking for, is how are you solving problems? And, and we take the same approach, uh, you know, when we're thinking, we don't think much about, you know, market, or I mean, we do a little, right? But compared to our peers, we, I don't think we think as much about markets or uh, you know macro factors or whether the space is crowded or you know this kind of stuff. We don't, don't think about that a lot. We think more about all right, who are these people sitting across the table from us, and how are they going to deal with things when they don't go well? That's what I want to know the most about. Man, home run! Is, is that a gut feel? Is there a their diagnostic is there an interview with their wife or her husband like like how do you that that sounds amazing how do you actually uncover that yeah there's way more gut to it than i would like to admit right mm. 10 years ago 15 years ago uh i would love to have been able to tell you that there is a pathway uh through which i could use a few documents and a few online tools and determine you know immediately how any one person is going to react under these kinds of situations. And the real answer to that is you can't. Um, it's why NFL teams can't draft quarterbacks. Yeah. It's why, yeah. right. It's just, it's, it, it, it's the same sort of philosophy involved. Um, so there's way more gut to it than you think. And, and I, I, I work with a lot of, uh, I work with a lot of students, um, all of whom are objectively brighter than I was at that age, and many of them who are objectively brighter than I am today, um, but they don't have very many at-bats. 
Um, so I, I like to use baseball analogies, even though they're, they're imperfect in many ways. But one of the things that I like to say is it takes about it takes about 1,500 at-bats for a minor leaguer to make it to the major leagues. Uh, and I'm referring to, you know, kids that are drafted out of high school. It takes about 1,500 at-bats for a minor leaguer to make it to the major league. Some it takes more and some it takes less, but that's kind of the average. In the minor league, that's almost four full seasons of playing every game mm. and seeing all those pitches. Right. And, and being able to hit a major league curveball and even then not really being able to do it very well. That's kind of the average. If you apply that to almost any other thing, it, it actually sort of works. Right. There's just Absolutely. and I don't like the, I don't like the sort of Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours kind of thing because that presumes some level of expertise. Actually, there's just a certain amount of stuff you have to see to be competent right and so and if everything you're seeing is new to you um it doesn't matter how objectively bright you are um because you're just you're taking in information and some of it gets stuck there and that's great but then the next thing you see is brand new and you have to do it all over again and so when you say you know long-winded answer to a, a great question how do you do it there's way more gut to it than i would like um there's way more feel split than I would like. Uh, but I also just think that that's kind of the way it is. I don't know that I can use science or rigor. Uh, I mean, we, we can use those things and that can improve the process, but I don't know that I can fully rely on those kinds of things to ultimately make those decisions for me. So good, man. You, you, I love that. And, and you mentioned students, which actually I probably should have started this by talking about our connection. But our connection is a William Jewell student, Parker Turgeon, who yeah. great kid, smart kid, ambitious kid, one of the nicest dudes you'll ever meet. Um, and, and when he's doing some strategic partnerships is what we've labeled it because um, it was nicer than intern. <laughs> so he's, he's, he's doing some work for us and has for over a year now. And, and he was our connection and he, he is just a fascinating individual because, um, I, yeah, all, all those things are true about him that, that you said, like objectively way smarter than me, way more gifted than me and, and bless his heart. Like he just needs more at bats. Right. And, um, it's been so fun and, and, and in this, you know, small little, little example here is to see him grow in his confidence he's he's done some like straight up like old school cold calls and straight up old school email outreaches and like his his ability to like withstand the rejection and and keep going and and even frankly like the revenue it's produced for our company hasn't like blown our doors off but i i look at a kid like that i'm like dude if if you learn how to do this stuff and you i love it if you get your 1500 at bats when when you're when you're still like playing soccer in college, like, bro, look out! Like you're gonna you're gonna light the world on fire, yeah. man. Yeah, and so we we know Parker through uh, this program that we run in Kansas City called the Kansas City University Venture Fund. Um, it's actually an offshoot of a program that I've been affiliated with out here in Utah called the University Venture Fund. Um, it's a you know private scholarship. 
identify, you know, talented young people who are interested in entrepreneurship and private finance and bring them in and give them that bounce. That is specifically what it is. It is designed specifically to allow young people who are trying to learn this stuff to be able to see pitches because you don't, we we teach entrepreneurship reasonably well at the university level. Mm. We don't teach private finance well at all. Mm. Um, And and there are a number of reasons for that. We we don't teach private finance well, largely because um, private finance doesn't scale that well. I mean, I will be the first person to tell you that I don't think venture capital scales. If If you run a venture capital firm, there's a handful of them that have grown and they, you know, deploy billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, but by and large, that this kind of business doesn't scale very quickly um, or, or at all. Um, you can't see enough deals. You can't hire enough people. You can't, it's just, there's just no way to do it well unless you're at, you know, great economic scale. Mm. So we specifically started this not with the idea or, or, or develop this offshoot that, uh, off of this university, this uh, Utah program. We specifically developed it for the purpose of giving young people experience that they cannot get anywhere else. It is really challenging. And what I would tell you is that the mistake that many entrepreneurs make, and, and not just young entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs of all stripes, is they believe they're onto something, they want to invest in the growth of that something that they're onto and they turn around and they go and they talk to a venture capitalist. And that is certainly one way to finance growth of your business, but it is by no means the only way. And the only reason we think that's the only way is because that's the stuff that they write about on Twitter. Or right, we write That's about right. billion-dollar outcomes and and you know all these other kinds of things and um, and it's all insane, right? It's one thing. It's certainly shooting for a billion-dollar outcome. If that's your goal, that's great. But actually, there's a whole lot of people that can do really, really well, including the people that work for you and you yourself and your investor at outcomes that are much smaller than that. You just have to arrange them correctly. Um, but we don't teach any of that stuff to young people. And so we created this, um, you know, private scholarship and effectively a fellowship program specifically to give young people who were interested in this stuff at bat so that they could see how this stuff works. And the great part about that is most of our students do not express, and it might be partly be because I'm one of their teachers and, I badmouth venture capital all day long, but as a venture they, capitalist, they don't, <laughs> right. They don't express that they want to go and be venture capitalists, right? What they think they learn. And we have some data behind this uh, because, you know, our program three years old, uh, the program here in Utah is like 13 years old. Wow. So we have some data to suggest that actually what happens is young people that come out of this program, go out and start companies because now they know how. Mm-hmm. Right. We teach entrepreneurship and some of those kinds of things on one side of the equation, but that's really only one side of the equation. We don't really teach you how to finance a business that's growing. And that's what we that's what we try to do. We think we're building more informed young entrepreneurs uh, at, and we're trying to do that at scale. So we've got 
19 students in the program, or is it 19, 19 or 21? I can't remember. Um, 19 or 21 students in the program this year. Um, excited about, you know, trying to expand that, but specifically with the idea that we could grow up this cadre of young people in the Kansas City metro area who, A, would stay because they see there are lots of really cool opportunities in the area and not, you know, move off to San Francisco or Seattle or wherever. Um, but B, when they say they're equipped with a whole new set of tools that allows them to go and start businesses, start businesses, get those businesses financed, hire 10, 12, 20, 50, 120 people, whatever the answer is, um, and continue to build that ecosystem there in Kansas City. So good, man. I wish I would have gone through it because I'm sitting here going, yep, I could, I could have used that class because yeah, the, 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 the entrepreneurship side, cool, right? Like we talk about that. You can read a bunch about it, but, but they're still, again, naive, dumb, you know, late thirties guy who almost 40, by the way, um, who's yeah. run, running a company, a real, a real organization with real revenue, real clients, real people. And I'm sitting here going, and I've said this to our, you know, we, we call it our leadership team, but like basically it's three of us. Right. <laughs> and I say like, man, if we had a million and a half bucks, like in the bank that we could, we could structure our business differently. Like, I don't think we do it the exact way we're doing it today, but, but there's, and maybe it's like unhealthy pride. Maybe it's ego. Maybe there's some combination of wisdom in it too, but like we haven't taken one penny from, from, from anywhere. We haven't, we don't, and again, maybe stupid, like I'm maybe need a line of credit, right? I've got the application from our banking partner, community America. I just haven't done it yet. Um, we've had people come in and say, Hey man, like we'd love to invest and give you a temper, you know, 10% equity. I'm like, no, I think I'm good. And, but, but again, yeah. part of that is, is, is maybe amazing. And we ha- we control all the equity and all that stuff. Part of that is like, dude, we we've hit a nerve with something real that people need that is legitimately solving problems. Like what if we grew it? How, how would we grow it quicker, faster, all those things? Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm digressing because I'm, I'm like, yeah, thanks Jeff. Like I, you're, you're helping me, bro. <laughs> so <laughs> No problem. Um, so we, we didn't even tie the thread quickly together, but clearly like you exited a company, had a successful moment. Like tell, tell us a little bit more about that moment. Like what did it feel like? Did it satisfy you? Did it leave you hungrier and emptier? Like what, what, what did it look like when you were like, dude, we, we just built this business for 13 years and we sold it. Like now what? Uh, the now what part was the most interesting part, right? Uh, because I just candidly didn't know. Uh, sure. I, I had not given it a ton of thought. Our transaction was challenging. It, it took almost a year to do. Um, and that, you know, some of that is, you know, unforced errors on, on our part and on the buyer's part. And, and some of that is just these things take a long time. Um, and so how did I feel after? I, I don't really know. There was actually, for me, there was some relief. I was like, oh, good. Yeah. Because actually yeah. they took everybody, They took the buyer took everybody uh, except me. They're like, well, we have a CEO, so we don't actually need you. And I'm like, that's cool. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> so there was, there, there was some relief there. I was like, oh, good, right? Um, but then there was also a little bit of fear. Where I was like, well, I actually haven't given enough thought to what I'm going to do next. Um, do I want to do another startup? Do I, you know, want to? And, and so this is where, um, again, sort of hanging around enough, uh, enough of the hoop, 
to be able to have another one of those happy accidents. That's actually how my transition into venture capital came to be, right? I, I no longer had anything to do. Um, but as you can tell from this interview, I'm pretty good at running my mouth. I, I've got an opinion about, you know, pretty much anything, um, whether I should be expressing it or not is another matter, but, um, had a chance to, to come and, and work for a high net worth family that was looking to find ways to invest in entrepreneurs, um, <clears throat> and to do that directly. And so that was really my sort of first foray into venture capital. And, and, you know, again, a, a enough of a happy accident uh to be able to say you know look i'm i'm here but by the grace there you know i didn't have this plan this you know i this was a lunch that occurred and in the february after the october in which i sold my business i had been just sort of hanging around um not doing much productive um and so that's that's sort of how that opportunity came to be but the, the actual feelings involved were actually a fair amount of relief Mm. Um, I, I was ready to be done. I was ready to at least do something else. I didn't really find my job all that interesting anymore. Um, you know, it, it, we had done with that business all that probably could have been done with that business. There wasn't anywhere else to go. And, and it was fine, right? I, I could have probably sat there and done it for another 13 years and, and lived a really nice life and, yep. you know, had a really nice lifestyle. But uh, that also was sort of not particularly exciting to me at that point. So, um, it was the, the, you know, feeling of, uh, of relief was certainly a, a big part of, of how that, that worked. And then, you know, fair amount of panic. I was like, mm, I haven't thought about this very much. I don't have a plan. We should probably try and figure that out. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, so help me understand the connection between the Utah group and KC. Like you, 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 you actually live in Utah, right? I do. Yeah, I live live in Utah um, and have lived here for about eight and a half years now. Nice. Um, and and the, the connection to KC really comes as we were growing um, this sort of family office's venture, pro, their venture investing business. We actually sort of orphaned it a little bit and took it outside of the family office. And that's what I continue to do. That's my day job today is I continue to run those the, the series of venture funds. And we were looking to expand our footprint and a natural expansion for me for a variety of reasons was Kansas City. Um, and so, I, you know, I basically said, look, I know that area well. I know there's opportunity there. I know there's no venture capital there. Why wouldn't I go and be the venture capital that's there? Love it. Um, that was a no, that was a no brain. The student program um, was actually a, a, a pretty intentional part of us opening or expanding our presence in Kansas City. Uh, we feel like, and, and have always felt like, look, if you're going to be in an ecosystem like that and you're going to be financing stuff and you're going to be doing it for a really long time, you got to find a decent way to contribute back to the quality of that ecosystem. Or you're not doing enough to take, you know, venture capital is risky money as it is. Mm. If you're not contributing to the ecosystem, you aren't doing enough to take risk out of that system. And and that's a big part of, of my job is Smart. I'm trying to find ways to take risk out of systems. And so this was, you know, as good of an educational opportunity as I'd run across in a long time. Um, we were excited to, by the stuff that we had seen. Um 
you know, that sort of operated alongside it. Um, we, I'd had a chance to see how that program worked, you know, many, many times. And so that was really the emphasis behind expanding it in Kansas City was um, finding a way to com- commit to the ecosystem uh, in such a way that, that we could be adding value over the long term. Man, I love it. It's all being a steward, right? I mean, it's so good. Yeah. So good. Um, man, I, you've been super generous with your time, and I could literally ask you a thousand questions because I'm so curious. But Well, you got to edit it, man. Not me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, but, but one thing, you know, kind of before we, we move into uh, a, a, the winding down portion here is you've there's some, there's some other parts of you. We've talked a ton about entrepreneurship and VC and how that works and the components of deals and the character of the people you're looking for and all that, which is all fascinating, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Um, I, I, a couple things in particular I'm curious to hit, and then we're going to talk about your family, but you're a struggling musician and a volunteer DJ. What's that mean, man? Yeah, I've been a, a struggling musician probably since I was 18 years old. I, at one point, was actually a pretty deep um and then i you know unwisely quit the thing i was good at and then you know picked up a different instrument and immediately became not very good and have been not very good now for a couple decades um but but i'd love to play um and 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 love to to do that kind of stuff the volunteer dj thing is actually one of my favorite things um uh, i live in park city utah uh which is a, a wonderful sort of mountain resort community um, wonderful place to live. Um, but it has a, a, a local NPR station, right? So a, a local affiliate that literally maybe serves 25,000, 30,000 people on the backside of a mountain range. Um, and it has a news division, which is really great. Um, but, you know, it's a nonprofit yeah. NPR station. And so they, you know, all of the money that gets raised effectively goes to support the, you know, the administration and the news and, and the equipment that we need. Um, but it plays music for a pretty good chunk of the day. And so all of those people were all volunteers. So, uh, yeah, I've got a, a weekly radio show uh, awesome. where I, I, I spend tunes for two hours. Um, you know, I read a couple, uh, you know, public service announcements. There's this great sort of lost and found feature uh, where if you know lose something or find something, call on the radio station. We read it on the air once an hour, right? That's There's, so awesome. Um, I, I, that's what I do, and 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 everybody looks at that and they say, "Wow, why are you doing that? That doesn't seem like a great use of time." It's a fantastic way to actually stay connected to the place that I live. Yeah. Um, and, and it's it's my volunteerism, right? It's great. Um, and it's also just a, it's a really cool sort of vestige. Uh, you know, communities used to have radio, every community used to have a radio station, right? Um, and now very few communities have radio stations and they're all owned by these big conglomerates. We have this one NPR affiliate here on the Wasatch back. It serves a very small number of people and we keep it going and it keeps growing and it's just a ton of fun to do. Dude, so good. I love that story. Um, quickly, you know, probably the, the, the two other folks who deserve most of the credit, I'm sure, right? If you're anything like me, you, you mentioned your your wife and son, I believe, right? Tell us about them. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell us about them and 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 how more specifically how they've contributed, supported, um, stood alongside you and your journey, and vice versa. Yeah. So uh, 
my my wife is is fantastic. Again, one of these people that's sort of objectively um, brighter and, and and more talented than I. Um, so, in terms of how she's supported uh, me, interestingly, um, a couple ways. One of which was um, she actually. Um, not long after we started dating, actually came to work for my previous company. Awesome. Um, and w- and was easily our most important employee. And we would not have been able to, candidly, we would not have been able to sell that business without a bunch of sort of under layer work that she did over the course of a couple of years that we as entrepreneurs had just never done. Yep. She was like, you clowns need to actually build a foundation here. This business is built on sand. She Here's must know my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and she she did a lot of that work, um, and then you know further w- once we sold the business and and uh, my son was born, she uh, made the choice to stay home, uh, and that freed me up to candidly do a career change that I probably was not equipped to do. Mm. Right, I had to go work really really hard because I had never done that thing before. I had to go figure out how to do it. Yeah. And she was like, "Well, this actually dovetails nicely because I would like to stay home." Uh, and you need to go bust your tail for a little bit. So this, this matches up nicely. And so we had that dynamic going for a number of years, which really allowed me to be, uh, a present father when I could be present. Um, but then if I just couldn't be there, that meant there was someone there and and we really got the best of both worlds out of that. And we were very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, now, uh, she is actually a, uh, in the middle of a career change. She is a, a full-time nursing student at the University of Utah. Oh, how about that? Uh, and is gonna has gone back to school. Her, you know, her sort of top twenty undergraduate degree and her uh, her MBA were insufficient, I guess. And so now she's <laughs> uh, going to get a third undergraduate degree to be a nurse. And so you know, we'll all have appropriate diagnoses at home when the zombie apocalypse happens. Um, and, and, you know, what's interesting is now that I'm a little more established, uh, my son and I get to support her in that, uh, and that's fine, uh, to watch her be able to go and do that. So that's man. kind of our story. Good for y'all, man. Um, well, Jeff, listen, dude, this has been fascinating. Um, it, it, we're going to, we'll hit these like quick five questions at the end, but the last one I've got that's kind of rattling around in my brain, uh, among the thousand that I want to ask is if, if Jeff Stowell today wrote a letter to Augusta, Kansas, 18-year-old Jeff, like what components would be in that letter? What would it say? Um, there would probably be a couple. Uh, one of them would be to rely less on your natural ability and develop your ability to practice no matter what it is you're trying to do. Um, I, I've become this sort of big believer in, in in one's ability to increase one's skill level, increase one's, um, you know, a, ability to, to tackle huge problems simply by being a disciplined practice person. Uh, and, and what's interesting is we don't really teach kids how to practice well. Um, and so, if, you know, 18-year-old me would say, hey, do you remember that really great band teacher you had that taught you how to practice that instrument and made you pretty good at that instrument? That lesson really mattered. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Apply yeah. that to everything. And, and it does, what that does is actually a couple things. So it, 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 it takes this idea that, 
you just have to work 16 hours a day and you just keep there and just sit there and plow through it and plow through it and plow through it. When in fact, sort of discipline to practice can sort of cut those number of hours in half. Uh, and you can avoid sort of thrashing yourself up against the rocky beach all the time. Um, th- that's maybe a little esoteric, but I, I also think it, it, it's one of my most important lessons is this idea um, of disciplined practice really can have a fantastic impact on almost anything you do. Um, so that would be the first part. Uh, the, the second part, I would say, um, and don't, uh, you know, I'm not going to even show this to my son or let him listen to this. Uh, is <laughs> don't get too wrapped around the axle around, um, uh, around being perfect because you're not, you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to get a 4.0. You're not going to, and, and, you know, I committed a lot of energy to that concept. Um, and it turns out that it, for me, it never mattered. For most people, it only matters once, right? It, it matters when you get your first job. And after that, no one really asks you what your GPA was. Um, no one really asks you what your class rank was in law school. Like, they don't ask those kinds of questions. So don't get – look, you can't go out and get Ds, but don't get wrapped around the axle if you got a B instead of an A. And the reason that you got a B was you took the opportunity to study abroad in Paris for four weeks or something, right? right? I mean, there's go do that stuff if it's available to you as opposed to getting wrapped around the axle around personal performance because it, it ultimately is not nearly as consequential as we have been led to believe. That would be the two things I'd put. Dude, that's a that's beautiful. Well said, and it makes me. It, it reminds me of what you were saying earlier, man. Of like, it 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 doesn't really matter at the end. Like, can can is, are you going to have skill? You better have skills, right? Like to your fifteen hundred bats example. Right. Like you have to be able to hit a baseball to be in the minor leagues. But but the the experience, the rep, the nuance, the art, the soft stuff is like. Yeah, no, that's what that's what's really gonna matter. It doesn't ultimately. Um, I love how you said that, dude. Great job. Okay, here we go. We're gonna wrap up. Here's the the five questions we end every show with. Um, so just first gut response, rapid fire, bro. Here we go. What's the last book? Sure. What is the last book you've read or listened to? Uh, last book I read that I enjoyed uh, was Heartland by a woman named Sarah Smarsh, who's a fellow KU grad. Uh, it, it, it's a pretty interesting, um, it, it has been couched as a political book. I, I don't believe it is. Uh, it's a pretty good sort of description of, uh, you know, how one grows up in the middle of the country, uh, and ends up with the worldviews that they have and why. Um, and it's a mm-hmm. lot about her own story. And so, you know, you sort of get this example of one, uh, but I actually think it's really well written and, and pretty descriptive of what's going on in the middle of the country right now uh, and worth a read. Love it. What would you do right now if you weren't afraid? Uh, I mean, I'd probably do the same stuff, right? If you don't have a healthy amount of skepticism and fear in your life, you're not taking enough chances. Uh, so I don't know that I would change anything. Awesome, dude. I love that answer. Um, if Is there one thing that you could share with our folks um, that they would think you're either weird or crazy or funny? Chewing your fingernails, uh, something weird. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've beaten most of that stuff out of myself. 
Um, uh, gosh, what a weird thing I do. Um, uh, I like to make up lyrics to songs, and I do that many, many times a day. I'm sure your wife. And my that. son really wants to shoot me. Of course he does. Because his favorite song, his his favorite song will come on, and and I will make up just completely different lyrics to it, and it aggravates him to no end. Love it. Besides Park City, Utah, what is your favorite place on earth? Ah, uh, that's hard. Um, I've had the good luck to travel to quite a few places. Um, probably Queenstown, New Zealand, or the area surrounding Queenstown, New Zealand. Love it. All right, man, a little bit of a heavier one. When it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Uh, you sent me this question in advance. I looked at it, and I, I was like, you know, I, I, eh. I don't know that I've ever really thought about it. Um I don't know that I want to be remembered for anything. Um, I think the influence I would like to have had on people's lives who survive me um, is that, you know, they are kinder uh, to each other. They are more disciplined in the work that they do and they leave space for themselves and their families um, because they were around me. And whether they remember me for that or not, uh, I don't know. But that's the impact I'd like to have. Beautiful, man. Well spoken. Well said. Um, Jeff, if people wanted to, how could they kind of snoop around and follow you on uh, social media, website? Like, how could they kind of see what you're up to? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle there is Mountain Palaver. Um, you can just search for Jeff Doel and you'll, I think you'll find that, um, the tweets tend to be a little bit random, a little acerbic, uh, and a little sports related. Um, but sometimes I tweet about business and, and things that might be interesting. Uh, I don't have a Facebook account and we'll take this opportunity to actively advocate to each of you that you should not have a Facebook account. Um, and, uh, I'm on LinkedIn and you can find me on there. It's, it's pretty easy to find. Love it. Love it, man. Jeff, it was a huge pleasure, man. I, I'm grateful for your time. I know you've got a thousand things kind of pulling at you, so that you, you'd spend an hour with us is huge, bro. Yeah, thanks, Jeff, and I appreciate it. Have a great uh, rest of your week, and we'll talk to you. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff.